Hi, I'm Jamie Winkup. Hi, I'm Dick Johnson. Hi, I'm Garth Tander. You're listening to the V8 Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now here's your host, Craig Revell. The selling season gets going. Uh, I don't know, I've got to earn some money somehow because I've got two young girls and uh, I don't know where you, whether you know what private school fees are like at the moment but they're bloody horrendous. As David Reynolds thinks the young gardens are getting it right. Very lucky with like, people like Jazz and Scott McLaughlin to come in. Um, they've been very lucky in the time that they've come in the that's all coming up today as the red lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. This news update is brought to you by V8X Magazine. Log on to the official V8X Magazine Facebook page for your chance to win some great prizes. Hi, this is Will Davison from the Pepsi Max crew for Performance Racing, and you are listening to the V8 Insiders. Here's the news brought to you by Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products. With Will Davison confirmed as leaving FPR, Dave Reynolds told the V8 Insiders that he's looking forward to working with newcomer to the team next year, Chaz Mostert. Will's one of my best friends down pit lane, so I'm very sad to lose him. I think he's a vital member of the team, and he understands the car set up and you know, uh, how to make everything fit faster. And, um, you know, Chaz is a young kid, he's got a lot of talent, a lot of talent, and so yeah, I'll be looking forward to having a new teammate. I love Chaz, he's a good guy. I really get along with him well. He's always happy, he's always happy-go-lucky. You can hear more from Reynolds on this week's White Flag Lab. With Russell Ingall now only two events away from the end of the season and perhaps his main game career, he's spoken about what he'll be doing next year. Uh, I'll just sit on the fence a bit at the moment, see what see what kicks around. I think there's going to be a fair bit of movement come around the end of the year, but at the very least I should I should hope that I'd get an endurance drive somewhere. Um, hopefully somewhere reasonable and uh, have a stab at that so I think that's a that's a given but uh, as far as anything permanent goes I mean who knows I think um, I think the general climate out there within the teams is pretty volatile at the moment and uh, I think there's a lot of question marks over a lot of teams on what they're doing and sponsorship and and I think there'll be a bit of amalgamation going on as well so once all that settles you never know there might be something crops up but if it doesn't I don't know we'll just uh just cruise around, do the enduros and buy myself a gold chain and some white shoes and be a Gold Coast property developer like everyone else around here. So. V8 Supercars have confirmed the Perth and Ipswich rounds of the 2014 season with an announcement this week that has the two tracks hosting super sprints which feature 400 kilometres of racing. Both will host the Dunlop series while the Coates Hire have confirmed as sponsorship while Coates Hire are confirmed as sponsors of the Queensland Raceway event. 
Speculation on two of the people in the V8 paddock with F1 experience has continued with Bruce Jenkins' announcement that he has left Techno Autosport and the possibility that Steve Hallam, who leads Walkinshaw Performance at the end of the year, could replace Jenkins at the Queensland-based team. Nick Perkat will test Dunlop tyres at Phillip Island on Thursday as the resurfacing of the track has raised some concerns for various motorsport series including the MotoGP a few weeks ago who struggled on the relayed circuit. Percat will perform a simulation of both the 60km and 100km races. The data collected in the Holden prototype car will be shared with every team. And that's the news on the V8 Insiders. The latest edition of V8X magazine is out now with Craig Lowndes and Peter Brock on the cover. The iPad edition is available from MagShop, whilst the Android edition is at Magstar. Hard copies available in all good news agents now. After the break, the panel, including John Bannon and Mark Fogarty, will look at the silly season. News on the V8 Insiders is brought to you by the official V8X Magazine Facebook page. Sign up and keep in touch with V8 Supercars. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Craig Lance. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining us this week from Auto Action, the Fairfax Media Group, and of course the V8 Journalist of the Year, Mark Fogey. Good evening, folks. Good evening, everybody out there. And from V8X Magazine, it's John Bannon. Good evening, John. Uh, good evening, Craig. Good evening, folks. Hello, John. Interesting time this time of year as we come down to two races left to go, and I guess in some ways we have three more weeks to uh, procrastinate or uh, cast our mind over what could be happening next year, folks. And as far as drivers go, well, I think, uh, as we said on the show last week, it is pretty much settled that we all expect Will Davison to be at Erebus. But is it as clear-cut as that in your mind? No, there is still indeed a lot of prognostication to go. We're nearing the end of the season, but quite a few spots haven't been filled. And it's not just drivers. It's, in fact, more about racing entitlement contracts and where some of them are going, and they're, deci- they're going to decide who does what. Mm. Um, we thought that all the little dominoes would drop once Will Davison's move was confirmed. And, well, it's been confirmed that he's leaving Ford Performance Racing. Um, he's not confirming where he's going, but the world and his wife knows that he's actually going off to Erebus Motorsport to become their, well, you'd think lead driver. Lee Holdsworth might have something to say about that, but uh, Erebus certainly uh, put in a big effort to get him, steal him away from FPR. So now we're trying to work out where the rest of the players go with Davo and, of course, Chas Mostert being recalled by FPR to replace Davo. we now got to fill in the gaps. The interesting thing is that there was another seat up for grabs, which is the second seat at Gary Rogers with Volvo. 
it is in Melbourne. He's spent his car last couple of years running in Melbourne teams, be it HRT and Ford Performance Racing. So that seat is certainly an attractive one and one that a number of people out there are trying to get their hands on. Well, it's now a, a factory Volvo seat and uh, interestingly at the launch at Bathurst, Scott was the only one uh, put forward as, as, I guess, an ambassador for Volvo. So uh, that is a, an attractive option. Uh, sure, a bit like uh, Erebus and Nissan, they might not be quick out of the box straight away next year, but um, with time... Uh, that will be a very strong squad, and they have had longer to develop the car um, than Nissan and, and Erebus did. So it'll be very interesting to see um, how they go next year and exactly uh, what's going to happen to Alex. Will, will he find a, a spot in V8 supercars? Will he be retained by Gary Rogers? Will he go back overseas? And to that end, it's a team that, as you said, folks, has its racing entitlement contracts in place because at FPR, uh, Charlie Swarcolt's entitlement contract is certainly uh, the talk there was it was up for sale. And I guess everything's up for sale at the right price. But Paul Morris, Lucas Dumbrell and Dean Fiore are, are, talking, uh, are obviously in the mix there with Fiore's at Dick Johnson. Morris has one at Techno now. Techno want to run two cars, but if Morris gets the Dumbrell licence and uh, runs two cars himself out of Queensland, that's uh, that's just three of the licences that are uh, all uh, in that speculation you mentioned. Indeed. There are at least four in play and possibly as many as eight. And you mentioned Techno Autosports. Well, they've got to give back the licence that they currently lease from Paul Morris. They've had it for two years. That's the maximum you can lease it. So Paul Morris now has to take it back and, well, basically he has to put up or shut up. He has to either run it himself or he has to sell it. He can't lease it again. So there's been persistent speculation and rumours that he and Dean Fiore are going to buddy up and revive Paul Morris Motorsport with uh, Maury Pickering, the Queensland car dealer and financier involved. And uh, lots of drivers have been mentioned. Well, in fact, not lots. Steve Owen is the name that keeps popping up. Um, plus Fiore himself, if he doesn't stay at Lucas Dumbrell Motorsport, where he is at the moment, even though his licence is with Dick Johnson Motorsport. And the other, of course, is the Kiwi teenager Andre, Andre Heimgartner, who's uh, linked with Maury Pickering. But no one of those that I've mentioned are uh, confessing to anything at this stage. It's just all speculation. And um, Morris um, sold one of his two licences to Lucas Dumbrell Motorsport. They've got two licences, and there's a lot of conjecture about whether they might be on the market or at least one of them. And then, as you mentioned, I think James Rosenberg's licence, which currently is parked at Erebus, he's looking around. It's probably most likely, if anywhere, to go to Walkinshaw Racing to fill them out to four cars. They want to run an entry for Nick Perkat and James Rosenberg um, wants to stay in the sport. He's very keen to back a young driver as he did with Tim Slade, who of course is going to Walkinshaw Racing next year to replace Russell Engel. Um, yeah, so uh, it's it's confusing and I've, I've, I've lost myself. where I've lost track of where it's all going, but it, you know, it's all happening out there. Mm. It, it is interesting that uh 
with those movements significantly changes the way teams are structured. And particularly with one year of Car of the Future, we haven't seen, but for Triple Eight, having an extra car in their stable, which we saw Triple Eight do quite effectively. They gave Wing Cup a brand new car and had the car he was running as the international entry at Bathurst. But all the other teams are are really playing catch-up to Red Bull and Triple Eight, aren't they, folks? As usual, story of the series, isn't it? Mm. You know, Red Bull Racing, Triple Eight, race engineering, as we know it better, has um, just always been ahead of the game in the last few years. And, uh, you know, they were the first to get stuck into building Car of the Future and, uh, you know, they're, they're ahead on production of them. Everyone's still catching up and, in fact, you know, Many of the teams, if not most, just simply can't afford to build any more new cars at the moment. Um, Cost overruns on Car of the Future was such that um, a lot of teams were just struggling to get the cars they needed for this year done. And it won't be till next year, or maybe longer, before we see um, new cars added to their inventory as such. And of course, a number of cars this year, John, have suffered such significant damage that we've seen teams having to basically rebuild cars between races or even try to patch them up to get them out and running and then significant rebuilds once they get them back to the workshop which all takes your focus and money away to your new car program well that's right and and we've seen uh, a few costly rebuilds and some late nights um especially at bathurst and on the gold coast uh for me the real fascination for, for next year is how Walkinshaw pans out. Uh, I, I do find it interesting that Nick didn't get, um, I guess, essentially Russell's seat in the first place uh, and that Tim Slade got that seat. And now they're thinking of going out um, to four cars, or that's what the rumours are anyway. And as, just as the team is starting to really, I guess, regain in competitiveness, I, I'd be interested in, in both your opinion on whether that's going to be a help or a hindrance if, in fact, they did go out to four cars next year. Well, the in- I mean, there's no question that, that Nick deserves a spot, probably of all the, the drivers on the sidelines at the moment, as a Bathurst winner, uh, he's the one who really needs to be in the series. It's interesting, folks, because we have that situation where for the last, I would say, two and a half years, the talk has been uh, Walkinshaw Performance wanted divest. And, and consolidate going down to two cars. So I'm wondering is if we're hearing they want to buy another licence, it's actually because they're uh, ready to move on one licence and perhaps Rosenberg coming in with his licence on a lease or under a arrangement there where it's controlled by HRT and the third licence goes off to somewhere like Techno. That's not the plan. Ryan Walkinshaw, the chairman of racing if you like he's very clear the reason they want to expand to four cars is economies of scale a it's just more efficient to run even numbers of cars particularly as um not only in cost but also in you know the the pit booms um Mm. at the moment with three you have to find another team who's you know an odd man out to partner up with and that creates complications and ryan walkinshaw is very um unashamedly saying that he's a mate of Nick Perkett and he, he rates him highly, says he's a potential championship winning driver, he wants to get him a drive. The reason he didn't get the super cheap autos car um, to take over from Ingle was um, that Tim Slade was a better fit 
for super cheap. They had an existing relationship, so they're now trying to kill two birds with one stone by getting hold of the use of a wreck. They don't want to buy one, they just want to get the use of one under a customer-type arrangement, and they want to place Nick Perkett, who, early in the year, let's face it, was out of favour. He got shoved off to um, Tony Delberto Racing for the, Enduro, for the Enduros initially, um, until, well, to put it bluntly, I think Ryan Walkinshaw stepped in and said, Oi, bring him back. We want this young bloke. Mm. And interesting, over the years, Ryan has not been afraid to put his stamp on the team. He's certainly done that with uh, ensuring the engineering group is working on both cars equally, which was always a call from the second driver in um, in the HRT stable. Well, he's imposed his... Uh mark on that team more and more as he gets more confident you know he's now been doing it what running it since his father died now coming on three years um and you know he took a lot of advice in the initial one or two seasons um now he feels more comfortable to make his own decisions and um he's uh, making the team and its operation more of a reflection of of his ideas um and that's you know to be, un, you know, that's understandable. I mean, he's going to be running that show for a long, long time, you would, you would presume. So um, he spends a lot of time in Australia, not all the time, but he makes frequent visits. So uh, it's more and more going to reflect Ryan Walkinshaw than, um, than the people who have been running it for him, which in the last couple of years, of course, has been Steve Hallam, but um, he's being moved on. And Adrian Burgess has been poached from Triple Eight, and he'll be coming in to, you know, run... Walkinshaw Racing, which is Holden Racing Team and Super Cheap Auto Racing um, on a day-to-day basis. Mm. And the interesting story this week uh, uh, is that uh, Bruce Jenkins might be moving uh, perhaps down there as well to HRT from the position he's at Techno, and uh, Hallam could be going across to... Steve Hallam could be going across to Techno. Uh, Some interesting sort of rumours coming out engineering-wise. I think it's more likely that Steve Hallam might be going in the direction of Techno Autosports. I'm pretty sure Bruce Jenkins is not heading south to Walkinshaw Racing, but um, Hallam to Techno is something that's been spoken about along the pit lane quite widely, and Steve certainly wants to stay in BS Supercars. In fact, he wants to stay in Australia. Um, He's happy out here, and his wife is Australian. She's from Melbourne, and uh, I think he's... um, as well as enjoying life out here, he's under a bit of family pressure to stay. So I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up at Techno Auto Sports, depending on how many cars they run. And it's no certainty that they'll run two at all, more likely one. Um, or certainly he'll find a position somewhere else. But there are movements among engineers, most notably um, Matty Nielsen, uh, Techo, as he's known, um, is going back to Holden Racing Team for performance racing he uh, he defected over to the blue side um a couple or a few seasons back and um he's been prevailed upon to come back to clayton and he'll uh, have a bigger role there basically i think he'll be well if he's not technical director he'll be sort of you know pretty much Mm, he's uh, he's certainly an interesting guy who's been doing a lot of work with FPR, so they're going to have uh, quite a hole to fill in that uh, in that spot as well. Guys, we need to take a break here on the V8 Insiders back with plenty more right after this. 
You've taken the V8 to the races. You watched the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Hi, I am Alex on Prema from the Fujitsu JRM team and you are listening to the V8 Insider. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders, Mark Fogarty and Craig Ravel along with John Bannon is the name I was supposed to say before mine. John, it's interesting. We're going to see a tyre test on Thursday at Phillip Island. Now, the Car of the Future um, prototype, the Holden prototype, which was over in Austin for a while, badged as a Chevy until NASCAR got into GM's ear and said, no, it should be a Holden still, is back in Australia. And Nick Perkett, the man we were talking about in the first segment, is going to be doing laps in there to test the new surface of the Phillip Island Raceway after, well, I don't know if you'd call it a debacle of a MotoGP there where they were swapping bikes halfway through the race. Well, not even halfway through the race, a third of the way through the race. I think you probably would call it a debacle. Uh, It's the first time, I think, in um, MotoGP championship history or 500cc history, as it was previously known, uh, that 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 has occurred. So uh, quite rightly, they uh, need to do a bit of tyre testing there and, and work out whether the surface uh, is is good to go. It's the next race on the calendar. There's only two races left on the V8 supercar calendar, of course. So we're at a very, very crucial point in the championship, and especially given that the two lead contenders, both for Red Bull Racing, Jamie Wincup and Craig Lowndes, are separated by just six points. So uh, you certainly wouldn't want, um, I guess, the, the championship decided... Um, by by tyre issues, or, or would you? Maybe that would make it uh, a bit more interesting as well. So uh, I, I guess, um, yeah, that and also a good chance for, for Nick to get some extra uh, running on the board. It's an interesting problem to have, isn't it, folks? Fortunately, the calendar has allowed this to take place. It's basically a precaution. The feeling in V8 supercars and at Dunlop is that there won't be a problem on the resurface track for the V8 supercars the the tyres and the cars are are a different proposition than certainly the MotoGP bikes were Um, and but they're doing it because they don't want to have a situation where you know you have a you know a British Grand Prix type scenario with tyres you know going off everywhere or even Bathurst you know last year so they're going to take um, the car of the future Commodore prototype down with Nick Perkett and run it through simulated 60-kilometre and 100-kilometre races, which are the format for the uh, Phillip Island 360, and just make sure that, um, and it's the hard tyre they're using there as usual, of course, and just make sure there is no issue. Um, um, the bikes, the super bikes didn't have an issue um, early in the year. They were the first to run on the newly resurfaced Phillip Island circuit, but oddly they did have an issue um, the Australian supermarkets, I gather, when they came back on the support program from MotoGP, and it was a particular set of circumstances in terms of the ferocity of the bikes and the, and the weather. And um, the Dunlop people, either, even though they're not talking officially, um, my mail is that they're, they're not unduly c- concerned, but both they and v- the V8 authorities are going to make sure that you know they go to Phillip Island at the end of the month 
forearmed and forewarned, and um, they'll compile all this data from the test. And uh, if needs be, they don't think they will have to make any changes, but if needs be, they'll, well, they'll have to alter the format of the races and the duration because they can't do anything to the tyres. They're locked in with them. <laughs> and, of course, it just my memory goes back to Indy after they ground the track and Bridgestone, of course, had the data from Firestone on the, the tyres after the grinding of the track, but uh, I can't remember whether it was Michelin or Pirelli at the time, didn't have any data and we saw four cars, Ferrari and I think it was um, Minardi, finish, well, doing more than one lap as the other teams just started and then pulled into the pits. And uh, we definitely don't want to see a fast like that occur in any motorsport, but particularly the V8s. Uh, well, there's two things that, that come to mind with, with that, and the first one is is safety, and and the second one is is the word in embarrassment. You know, no one likes the situation in which you know the tyres become uh, uh, to a point where the, the teams and the tyre manufacturer are embarrassed by what occurs on the track and where it takes over the news of of the racing, uh, and so it's it's understandable that they take this measure. And that. It should be the point should be made that you were talking about the Indianapolis track being uh, well reground. Uh, um, that was back in 2005. Um, I'm not sure if that was the issue, but it's certainly not the issue here because the track hasn't been reground. It hasn't, you know, just had the surface skimmed, if you like, Craig. It's a whole new resurface, yeah. and my understanding is that the track surface isn't coarse. It's not rough. In fact, it's so smooth. Um, that it's um, providing unprecedented levels of grip and um, so much grip that that was actually, you know, part of the problem for the bikes. Um, it shouldn't be, shouldn't, I stress, be an issue with the V8 supercars. Um, in fact, they should be flying at record pace at last. <laughs> uh, John, interesting, new manufacturer coming in and that always changes the way that uh, people perceive what the existing manufacturers are doing in the sport. And uh, I've certainly been noticing over the last few weeks that Volvo are integrating their introduction into V8 supercars into their general advertising, which we haven't seen advertising of V8 supercars per se in general advertising since Ford won the championship with Triple Eight, and that must be getting on to four years ago now? Well, it makes a degree of sense. If you're marketing a, a product uh, and you want to build a, a fan base for the, the motorsport arm of um, your business and you also want to build a, a customer base for people um, buying your cars, then it makes a degree of sense to link the two, even if the car that you're racing is a, a little different to the, the car that you would buy from the showroom. So... Uh, it's it's a good move. Um, it's it's something that I, I think you know Volvo have had the opportunity to do in that they've been able to look back in the last twelve months, um, look at what Erebus have done, look at what um, Nissan have done, and have thought to themselves, okay, well, how can we market our brand? What can how can we get the most bang for buck? And and they're going about doing that um, with you know some creative advertising. So. Um, good luck to them. I, I hope it works. I guess Volvo also has that that stigma that it's had o over the years, and people still make jokes today about you know being for 
sort of Sunday drive and all about safety and all those things. But I, I think that stigma has gone away, you know, over the years as, you know, they've, they've built um, quality and, I guess, good-looking cars. Mm, Fogues, but you still think Scott McLaughlin and the second driver there are going to be called bloody Volvo drivers by the rest of the field at some stage? Swedish taxi will come up. I mean, Volvo's had a, you know, had some goes before back in the mid '90s at wet racing and was very successful, particularly overseas and to a less extent out here in in giving the brand um, a bit of a sporty image when it raced in Super Touring, particularly the British Touring Car Championship and the Australian Super Touring Championship. Um, but it let that lapse over the years. But the fact that at the moment in ads for the uh, S60 Polestar that it's um, referencing imminent um, participation in V8 supercars, well, they couldn't honestly do any less than Holden, Ford and really even Nissan. I mean, Holden and Ford have done nothing for several years in terms of directly linking um, their racing activities with their road cars. You know, you, you wouldn't know apart from the you know, Ford and Holden decals on some of the cars that they were in racing. Um, you mentioned Ford promoting Triple H's championship a while back. I don't even remember that. I'm, I think that's a figment of your imagination. No, it's not. They were putting the. They weren't using Triple H, but they were putting the trophies into the boot of a Ford, saying, "Look at what we've won." Um, well, gee, you can Google push, it. Pushing the boat out, isn't it? Wow, that's a major promotion. Anyway, they're doing nothing. Nissan's been disappointing. It hasn't been shouting from the rooftops as we'd hoped that they're in V8 supercars. They've got a lot of promotions at the track itself during the race meetings, but we're yet to see anything linking it with the uh, new Altima, which is finally, finally being launched, the production version. Um, finally been coming out on the road this month. Maybe there will be some advertising linking it, but I doubt it. So, and of course, Mercedes-Benz does nothing with what Erebus does because, you know, they want to get as far away from it as, you know, as a, a, you know, any sort of suggestion of any link with the factory. They want to get as far away as they can. Well, not so, the factory, the Australian distributors. Yeah, Mercedes-Benz Australia. Yes. You're right. Um, so, you know, Volvo merely mentioning the fact that they're going via supercars is, is, a, is a win, um, and hopefully they'll... Uh, make more of it next year. And it, it's interesting, the debate about the second driver. I mean, you'd have to say Alex Pramar is odds-on at the moment to stay there just because Gary Rogers, who's hard to read at the best of times, you know, has invested two years in him. And the other reality, reality is that any of the star drivers who may have been interested simply weren't because the amount of money that Gary Rogers pays just not in the ballpark for a leading driver. You know, say Will Davison, you know, he probably looked at that second Volvo driver. It would have been a great image fit, but when he saw the sort of money that Gary Rogers <laughs> um, was offering, I'm sure that was the end of that conversation. So we're pretty much looking at Premar staying or something weird like, you know, some Swedish or Scandinavian driver, Scandinavian driver being parachuted in. I wouldn't rule that out, but my gut feeling is that that they'll give Primar a second, uh, a third season. Mm. All right. Now, whilst we're talking about uh, parachuting in drivers from overseas, what about our drivers now? We've seen Brighty going overseas, Craig Lowndes going overseas. We've got uh, a number of the drivers, too many to mention by name, in New Zealand running in those super V8 super touring uh, endurance races there. Is having... Um, 
is having those drivers out and about, running in other series, running in other places in Australia, good for the sport, John? You've stumped him. Yeah. He's speechless. He is. You've left him speechless. What about you, folks? I'm not speechless. Not by a long shot. Um, Well, they're all guns for hire, so that's the bottom line. They'll drive anywhere and anything, you know, for... um, if it's an interesting enough event or more likely if they're paid enough money. But like anything you do outside, you know, your normal endeavour, um, it is a risk. And one day, one of those drivers who's, you know, doing extracurricular activities um, is going to be injured um, or hurt in some way. Um, it has, hasn't happened so far, but it could happen. So it's a risk, and once it happens, that's you know, when team owners are going to start, uh, well, banning drivers. Well, already drivers are pretty much banned from doing, you know, any dangerous act, leisure activities, you know, like a lot of them are, are banned from, you know, um, off-road motorcycle riding or you know, parachuting or even, you know, snowboarding or skiing in extreme cases. Um, although it's interesting that Craig Lowndes, among others, often goes uh, on motorcycle track days which is pretty risky, but then Roland Dane likes doing that, so he can hardly argue. But, yeah, I mean, there's risk involved, but until something goes awry, um, it'll probably continue. It doesn't, you know, getting back to your question, I guess, yeah, it doesn't hurt. It's, you know, they get more practice, more time behind the wheel, which is a precious commodity these days with such stringent limits on testing. I don't have a problem with it. I think it's probably good for the drivers to be able to add extra categories to their resume. Uh, it gives them option uh, options to race other machinery, and ultimately I think that's going to make them uh, better drivers. I guess there's the other side of the argument, which is if you're in another sort of car in another series, uh, that it's a distraction, uh, that not racing a V8 supercar all the time will uh, hinder your, your ability to, to do it at your very best um, and at, a, at your most focused. So, yeah, there's arguments to, to, to both sides, uh, but overall I don't see any harm in it. Mm. Of course, the first time we have a Tony Stewart situation where he's off running at the speedway and puts himself out for the rest of the year, I guess that's, as you said, folks, when it's really going to bite us. Whilst we're talking about internationals, is the Gold Coast worth doing if there's not significant numbers of internationals or if there's not an international category on the card, John? I think so. I, I think it's a fantastic event. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of uh, events on, on the calendar that, that probably aren't a, as interesting. I mean, the Gold Coast is a, is a real show. It's, it's not just, I guess, about the racing. It's the whole atmosphere. It's, I guess, the the whole party theme and, and just uh, it's a race that gets a lot of attention and I, I know there's been a lot of um, debate with the, the government up there as to whether it will continue or, or not. Uh, I think it'd be really disappointing if, if it didn't. Uh, we don't uh, have that many street circuits like that. It is a tough circuit to race on. It always creates a lot of interest because you do get accidents, you do get clashes uh, I'm sure. I mean, all that is probably a bit costly to the teams because there's some teams that have uh, some pretty high repair bills, repair bills by the end of the weekend. But I think it's a it's a great event, and I think it'd be a shame to lose it off the calendar. Folks, it is a mere 
shadow of its former self, and I could not care less whether there are internationals or even co-drivers. You know, it's really, it, it's a half-baked attempt at an endurance race, you know, two, three hundred kilometre races. The, um, the only thing that can be said for it is that having the co-drivers in there um, and their, you know, the relative levels of um, ability and experience at least livens things up and it always means that you have, you know, various catastrophes um, and that certainly livens up the championship. But um, does it really add to the event? Um, I'm, I'm far from convinced. You know, as I said, the, the event just doesn't stack up. Um, it didn't, even when it was, you know, all co-drivers, uh, all internationals as co-drivers. It just doesn't stack up to the days when it was the uh, the indie carnival. Um, and the crowds reflect that. Um, it just doesn't really, surprisingly, to my mind, I thought it would, but it just it's proved now that it doesn't stack up um, crowd-wise or interest-wise to when the Indy cars came out. And um, when you talk to people on the Gold Coast, you know, routinely the first question you get asked when you arrive there is, oh, you know, well, it's either a statement that we wish the Indy cars would come back or they ask you once they find out you're in the business, you know, do you think the Indy cars will ever come back? Sadly, the answer is no. Mm. I... But, but, but with all of that... Uh, sure. I mean, it's not going to be as good as it was back in, in the IndyCar days. I think I think that's a very fair and, and, and valid point. But I guess let's sort of compare apples to apples. How does it compare to the current um, tracks that we go racing for V8 supercars? Shorting... Like, Shortening the track was a good thing, and I liked the shorter track better than I ever liked the longer track, whether it was IndyCars, and it had to be the longer track for IndyCars, obviously, but the shortening of the track was a positive, but it's not Clipsal, and it will never be Clipsal. And, like, Melbourne isn't a patch on Clipsal for the Grand Prix, so, you know, if you take your benchmark as Clipsal, or if you want to take the other street race that's the uh, big one, of course, Bathurst, which isn't a patch on Clipsal for many things, but it is Bathurst, then IndyCar is Winton. Or am I being too harsh, folks? IndyCar is Winton? Well, India, the Gold Coast is Winton. Oh. In its, well, in it's, its current of, guise. It's a bit of a step above that in terms of atmosphere, but... Um, what about, know, like, Townsville? It, it's, an, it's, a, it's not a patch on Townsville, I don't think. Well, it's similar. No, to be fair, it's similar. It, look, it's an action-packed track because it's an old-fashioned you know street circuit it's over 20 years old now um and it you know it certainly you you get a very eventful racing so to my mind it doesn't need any contrivance it doesn't need to be you know a two-driver race you know there's enough going on because of the nature of the track by itself you know just with the, the field as it is and you know, as i say it's not really an endurance race how can it be an endurance race when it's split in two over two days, you know, and, well, honestly, and 300 kilometres is, you know, it's hardly a marathon. I mean, if it is a marathon, it's only because, you know, all the blokes who are a bit empty-headed go mad and create carnage. But, you know, otherwise, as I said, that's the only justification. It's the disparity in driving um, livens things up. But, you know, before you had co-drivers involved, um, the racing was, you know, eventful enough by far to stand on its own two feet, I think. Would you like longer races then, folks? Well, I think, well, a 600 or even a 500 kilometre race um, 
one go on, on the that Sunday. Track. That <laughs> that would be something to see. Um, so no, I, 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 you know, I think that would be a step too far. <laughs> Try it out, see how it goes. It can't hurt. <laughs> you know, it cannot it hurt. hurt your damage bill. Well, it's not going to have six cars left. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Well, of course, you know, if Car of the Future were really what it was supposed to be, you know, cheaper and way easier to fix, teams could um, afford to have, you know, multiple spare cars. Teams could afford to go to Abu Dhabi the next weekend. Yes, but, you know, <laughs> as we've seen with the damage so far, the cars are well, difficult and expensive to repair. They're safer. Yes. But they're more difficult and more costly to repair. All right. Well, we do need to wrap it up there. Of course, uh, I haven't even touched on Perth and Ipswich being locked in, but I think that was really a foregone conclusion as well. But, folks, always a pleasure to catch up with you. Look forward to seeing you down there at Phillip Island. Yep. It's going to be fun. And, John, I also look forward to catching up with you down there as well. The White Flag Lap is up next. David Reynolds joins us to talk about his win on the Gold Coast. To ask a question of the V8 Insiders, just email them at v8insiders at sportradio.com.au. Stay tuned for more. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Jonathan Webb from Techno Autosports, and you're listening to V8 Insiders. This week on the Munro White Flag Lab, we speak with David Reynolds. I congratulated him on his victory, which, of course, most people felt was a long time coming. Yeah, thanks, mate. Yeah, it was a, it's a big relief. Um, yeah, all like, yeah, I've done 122 races now, but I had the perfect weekend. Well, like the perfect Sunday, like I was on pole position, I won the race, I feel like I've done my job, you know, it's, Perfectly, really. It was uh, interesting because uh, I I couldn't be there, as you know. And uh, speaking to the guys, uh, particularly after the race in the media centre, said we couldn't believe how quiet Dave was by by comparison. And I sort of thought about it, and I know how much how much you think about things and how much you work through things. And I was thinking maybe that at that time when you were sitting down with the media. The gravity of everything happening and the relief was just finally starting to sink in. Am I even close? Yeah, probably, yeah. In the media conference, I was a little bit, um, yeah, less jovial. I, I don't know, I was a bit overwhelmed by the whole thing, really. It... And, like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why I, I, don't know why I was a bit quiet, but I still said some funny things, but not... Not silly and stupid, but I tried to give some, some you know, points that they could actually use that has been a dickhead the whole time. That's the great thing this year. We've seen so many new winners. Well, yeah, it's a good time for the category and all these, you know, younger people coming in. They don't need the experience like they did on the older cars, you know, and, and the teams aren't as, as on top of them as they used to be, so... 
you know, like um, basically it's anyone's race. You sort your car out. They're very similar these days. If you sort your car out on the day, you know, you can actually probably win a race. Do you think that... That's why it's, very, it's very lucky, like, for people like Chaz and Scott McLaughlin to come in. Um, they've been very lucky in the timing they've come in the category to make themselves look, you know, quite good in the championship. Do you think the gulf between the haves and the haves not will start to grow as we get into the second, third and fourth year of the cars? I don't know. It's hard to say. Maybe, maybe, maybe you know, as the team start to learn a bit more about it, they might build some, you know, other parts to try and combat their issues they're having, you know, with set-up-wise and, you know, track-specific and that. So, no, maybe, but so far it's been very close all year. Like, it's been qualifying, you know. A few tenths separates, you know, the top ten. Your mate Dean Canto, he uh, was an important part of this victory and he's been an important part of the last two years during the endurance races for you. Uh, yeah, Dino, my good mate, he's a great person, great person to uh, work with and to you know, share my driving experience with. Solid bloke, does the job. You know, he's had a little stuff up on Saturday where he... Uh, hit the pit lane speed limit button by accident through the back chicane when he was coming fifth and, um, you know, lost lost it for over you know, 12 or 15 spots or something, but redeemed himself on Sunday and did a fantastic job. And, mate, to share, to share a win with him is awesome, you know. We've been strong every time we hit the track together, but uh, we've never won a race. We've come close a few times, but, you know, it's just about time. Mm. And... Were you surprised when Russell Ingle said you were one of the guys he does like up and down pit lane? Uh, no, not really. I like Russell. I like the way he is, and I think he likes the way I am. We're a bit different than you know the average person. We say, you know, what's on our mind. It gets us in trouble from time to time. So I can see a lot of myself in Russell, and you know, probably he sees a lot of himself in me as well. So it's it's really cool to have that sort of respect. Knowing that he's not going to be around the main game full time for uh, the future, does that mean you can also take over the enforcer monarch? Nah, no way. I'll, I'll, he's uh, he's took that role solely. But um, yeah, you know he'll be missed. You know people like the big personalities like Murph and and himself, uh, Russell. They're you know they're few and far between these days, and they'd be greatly missed from the category. What about your team? Obviously, there's going to be uh, a, a few changes there at the end of the year with Will moving on and uh, and uh, Chaz coming into the team. Is that something you're looking forward to? Um, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I, Will's one of my best friends down pit lane, so I'm very sad to lose him. I think he's a vital member of the team and he understands the car set up and, you know, uh, how to make everything fit faster and... Um, you know, Chad's a young kid, got a lot of a talent, a lot of talent, and so yeah, it's, it's, I'll be looking forward to having a new teammate. I love Chad; he's a good guy. I really get along with him well. He's always happy. He's always happy-go-lucky. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a bit, bit interesting next year. Mm. A bit different. The integration of the Bottolo team and the FPR team with the ownership has that been noticeable to you? Probably not so much to me because I don't I don't deal with it day in day out. But probably some of the, the 
you know, the factory-based people and the management staff and that, they'll probably notice it a lot more than me. Um, my deal has only ever been with Rod Nash Racing and never been with FDR, so my deal hasn't changed at all. And how much was it a relief to extend your deal? Oh, yeah, I was pretty relieved. I always knew I was in for four years. And, you know, obviously I've had some ups and downs and that's racing, that's motorsport, and everyone understands. But Rod's such a good person to deal with. He understands racing and and the whole, you know, the whole uh, ups and downs of the whole thing. But, yeah, he's, he's a great understander. He's really good to talk to, especially when your chips are down and you're not having the best time. He sort of, you know, gives you enough confidence to go back and do your job that's better. Mm-hmm. Now, finally, Dave, I have to ask this because I'm contracted to... Did you end up having uh, your nudie run or surf or whatever you were going to do naked to uh, celebrate the win? <laughs> uh, no, I'll save that for Bathurst, maybe. I always thought you said I, it was I, only at Bathurst you were going to do it anyway. Yeah, I did say it was only at Bathurst, but I, I should really talk. I'd love to do it just to be a dickhead, but I, I think I might lose my job. Oh, you've got some uh, behavioural standards in your contract now, do you? Nah, never have. <laughs> I don't think I'd be racing if I had them. Dave, it's always a pleasure to catch up with you, and it's particularly good to speak to you after a win. No, thanks, Craig. See you, mate. That's all we have time for this week on the V8 Insiders. My thanks to Fogues, John Bannon, and, of course, David Reynolds as the Checker Flag waves over another edition. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.